Well, welcome today to Life Church. We're so glad that you're with us. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to get there in just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're starting a brand new uh, series called Christian Atheists, and I want to recommend a book to you that actually is going to be for sale at guest services. And uh, that is, it's a book by Craig Rochelle, uh, who pastors Life Church. TV out of Oklahoma City, and he wrote on this subject, and part of this book has been kind of a springboard for us for this series, and so it'd just be some great reading over the next couple of weeks as, uh, as we talk about this and uh, talk about this subject, and, uh, and so I just, want to, I just want to recommend it to you, and also just kind of let you know there's, uh, it's, what we're talking about is different than, but it's, it's kind of connected to, so if that makes any sense whatsoever. And uh, I just think it'll be some great supplemental reading and discussion as we go through this series, Christian Atheist. To this weekend, we're talking about, I believe in God, but I don't fear him. And let me give you a working definition for what we're calling a Christian atheist. A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but doesn't live as though he exists. Someone who believes in God, but doesn't live as though he exists. Gallup poll did a study and found in the United States of America that 94% of the people in the U.S. of A believe in God. 94% of the people in America believe in God. And here's my question, then why the disconnect? If 94% of Americans believe in God, then why do we have such a disconnection between what they believe and, and how they live? If that's the case, then why are we not making a bigger difference in our world in which we live. If that's the case, why are some of the crazy things happening in the world in which we live in? Now, to kind of explain this disconnect, I really think it boils down to the fact that we believe in God, but we don't fear Him. And let me explain what I mean by that. Let me give you a food illustration, if that's okay with everybody, all right? Surprise, surprise. As a kid, we used to go to this place called Wyatt's Cafeteria. Now, if your parents ever took you to a cafeteria, they're all relatively the same. And so I'm going to take you back just a little bit, and you're going to kind of get connected on this. But I used to love going because there's this huge, long line that you would go through, and then you'd get a tray. Remember the plastic tray? Whop, right there on the, the, the three bars that would just scoot it down. And so you'd do that, and you get your silverware. And, and the first stop would be the salads. But at Wise Cafeteria, the salads weren't just salads. There were jello in the salad section. I mean, you know, man, if, if, you're gonna, if you call Jell-O a salad, I like you. You know what I'm talking about? Especially when I was eight. And so the rule of thumb in our house was that you could get whatever you wanted. You just had to eat what you got. If you didn't, you had to pay, I had to pay my dad for it. It was one of those kind of deals. So I would, man, I would start with some Jell-O. This just is a salad. And I would go right on down. They'd have the meat, right, carving station there, and they would do that. And then, you know, fish, do you want a whole fish or half a fish? Give me a whole fish. I never had a half of nothing. And so, yeah, give me that, right? And, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm just smiling ear to ear, dimples, the whole deal. I mean, just melting, melting those, uh, those ladies behind, those little cafeteria ladies with their little hairnets and the SAS uh, shoes and support hose. I mean, just like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Hey, I liked some of that and some of that. And then you get to the carbohydrates, right? Mashed potatoes, gravy. Mmm, doesn't that sound good right now? And get some uh, uh, macaroni and cheese. Hallelujah. Thank God for macaroni and cheese. Get some of that, and then, you, you know, you give a little of this and a little of that, and then you'd take your tray right on down, and, and uh, you know, you'd pass on things like Brussels sprouts that you didn't want. But then you would, yeah, I want, I want some, you know, so give me some bread, give me some rolls. And, and, and then, then it always ended with, uh, with the desserts, right? French silk pie. Girl, what are you talking about? Give me some of that right there, you know, and everything. And you go through the whole line. And here's what I think happens. I think in church and in the world in which we live in, that's a lot of how we respond to God. It's like what I would call buffet Christianity. 
we, we get excited and we go through the line and we've got our tray and, and, and we have all of these things. And so, but we say, yeah, you know what? Blessing, man, give me two helpings of blessing. But, but, but discipline in my life, I don't need any spiritual disciplines. I don't want that. And you know what? Um, talking about some grace, I need some grace this week. It's been a rough week. But, but you want me to forgive somebody else? I, I don't need that right now. And, and you know, and, um, and uh, you know, uh, unconditional love, for sure, for sure, I need that. But generosity? No way, man. I just don't, I, I'm just kind of short on general. I don't need any generosity. And we just kind of pick and choose what we want, like a buffet, like a cafeteria. And we kind of say, this is what I want Christianity to look like. This is what I want my relationship with God to look like. This is what I want church to look like. This is what I want my experience to look like. And the problem with that is, is that we're picking and choosing. And the other problem with that is at the end of the line, guess what? You have to pay, right? Before you take your seat, you have to pay right then and there. Paul describes it this way. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I want to read this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he talks about this mentality when he's talking to young Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, and he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Yep. Lovers of money. Yes. Think about these things and how they're in, in the world that we live in. Boastful? Check. Proud? Check. Abusive? Check. Disobedient to parents? Check. Ungrateful, check. Unholy, check. Without love, check. Unforgiving, check. Slanderous, check, check. Without self-control, uh, you can underline and underscore that one for sure. Brutal, check. Not lovers of good, check. Treacherous, check. Rash, check. Conceited, check. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, check. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He says this, Paul is writing this pastoral letter, this epistle to, to young Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, who scholars say probably was somewhere around 100,000 believers. And he says, look, Timothy, in the last days, here's what's going to be happening in the world around you. And he's not writing this for our benefit. He's actually writing this for Timothy's benefit. And he said, and then, and then from verses 1 through verse 4, he really is talking about outside things that are happening. But by, by the time he gets to verse 5, He's communicating to Timothy, Timothy, this isn't just outside the church, it's inside the church. Because they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. I want you to listen to that. They'll look good. It'll be okay on the outside. But the reality is, is that it's just a bunch of steeples and stained glass, but there's no power of God. Isn't that the city we live in? Per capita, there's more steeples and stained glass in metropolitan Milwaukee than there is in any other city in America. Yet we have issues that are so devoid of God that you go, hey, it looks like it looks powerful. It looks godly. It looks holy. But the reality is, is we don't have that power. It's just an empty shell of what it could or should have been. Some of you are going, wow, man, what's he talking? I mean, I'm just, yeah, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Here's what I'm saying is, is we have this appearance on the outside that, you know, we've gone to church and that we do church and, and we've been blessed by the priest or blessed by the pastor or, or the kids have been confirmed and they've gone through class and they've done this and they've been dunked or baptized or sprinkled or spritzed or whatever you want them to do and all that stuff is happening and we, and we feel like, well, this is good because, you know, Grandma so-and-so did this and, and, and Aunt Judy does this and Uncle Bob, he's happy with us and we just kind of feel like we've got this form of godliness, but we have no power. Why? Because we have no fear. Oh, we believe in God. Oh, we'll, we'll bow our heads when, when they say the prayer at the, you know, at, at, at the, uh, at the baseball game. We'll, 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 we'll be quiet and be reverent and, and we'll, we'll maybe give given a ministerial discount or, or some type of a token deal or, or we'll uh, 
pledge some type of allegiance to some denomination or some church or some something from the way we were raised. But the reality is, is we have no relationship. The reality is we have no fear. The reality is we have no real connection. How does this happen? How do we get to this place? Now, again, in my life growing up, I have heard preachers preach on this stuff, and they're, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. And everybody's, oh, glory to God, praise his name. Then they go to Baker Square, and they have some pie afterwards, right? Doesn't that sound good? I'm not trying to talk about all the ills of the world or ills of the church, but how do we get to this place? How do we get up to this Christian atheistic mentality where we believe in God, but we live life as though he doesn't exist? Well, if you take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 36, take it right back to Scripture. Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says it like this. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts, and they have no fear of God to restrain them. And in their blind conceit, they cannot see how the wicked really are, how wicked they really are. Read this again, Psalm 36, 1 and 2. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God to restrain them. And in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. The psalmist says that sin begins to say, sin begins to whisper, go ahead. Man, you deserve it. Take a break. You're not as bad as so-and-so. God will forgive you. Nobody's perfect. It's no big deal. Isn't that what sin does? And then wicked, whoa, Aaron, I don't know if I'm really wicked. Really, are we really wicked? Well, the Bible says that none of us are righteous, no, not one. That our, our best days are as, filthy, are as filthy rags inside of a holy God. And that our heart is deceitful above all things. So I ask you this question. What if we really are wicked? What if sin is really whispering to us? What if in our blind conceit, what if no fear of God to restrain us? What if we believe in God, but we don't fear him? Some of you are going, great, man. I thought you were kind of funny. Somebody said, man, you were a little more lighthearted. This is two weeks in a row of being serious. And, and this is hellfire and brimstone week at Life Church. Awesome. I'll check you out when this series is over with. Well, I, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's that we have a misconstrued idea of what the fear of God is. It may be even a misplacement of that in our lives. See, the fear of God is really not about judgment or penalty. Although we, all, we know that God is a righteous judge and, and that he's just and that he's holy and that he's pure. But he's also full of grace and full of mercy. But when you begin to study what the fear of God is and that phrase, fear of God, what does that mean? Here's the words that actually use to describe the fear of God. It's a reverent awe. Ah, is in the word that we use, awesome. It's a holy sense of wow. It's an awesomeness and a wonder of God. It's not about judgment and penalty. Oh, we know God is righteous. We know he's the judge. We know he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We, we understand that. We understand the book of Revelation says that he will judge. He will judge this earth and then the end shall come. We understand that. But that's not when it uses the phrase fear of God in scripture that it's speaking of. It is speaking of, an, of a reverent awe, a holy sense of wow, an awesomeness, a wonder of God. It's what you see in creation. It's the first time you see the, the sun rise over the Colorado Rockies. It's the first time you see the sun set uh, uh, over the ocean. It, it, it's the first time that you take 
take that drive on that perfect fall day through the kettle moraine and you see the beautiful colors of the trees and you realize there must be a God that's created this world that we live in. It's the first child that's born and you see the miracle of, of, of birth and, and it, it's that sweet peace of God upon salvation. It's the indescribable, unattainable, undeniable power and the awesomeness of the God that we serve. It's the first realization that you have that God loves you, that he's created you and that he has an amazing plan for your life. It's that feeling, that understanding, that realization. That's the fear of God. It's not that God's some cosmic killjoy in the heavenlies trying to sever your head from your shoulders. It's not that God's just a judge. It's not that just God's righteous. It's the fact that I see him and I know him and I experience him. And there's something from the creator to his creation that connects in me that goes, wow, that is amazing. See, the fear of God is born out of relationship, not out of activity. The fear of God is born out of relationship, not out of activity. And by relationship, I mean salvation. The Bible says, for God so loved you and I. That's how the story begins. That he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, John 3, 16 says. And if we accept him, we have everlasting life. It's not through activities. It's not through the acts of God or through attending religious services or programs or events or, or being, being blessed or confirmed or baptized or dedicated. It's through a relationship that we know him. Oh, my father would use a belt to, to, to discipline his two unruly sons, but we had no doubt that our dad loved us because he didn't beat us. He disciplined us because he loved us. And in the end of it, I love and respect my father. I understand that God is righteous and pure and holy and that he could just, just wipe me off the face of the planet, but yet he choo chooses to love me. He chooses to live a life with me. It's that the God that created the universe that could wipe me out in a second, all he wants from me, all he wants from you is a personal relationship. And the better that you get to know him, the more the wow increases. Let me say that again. The better you get to know God relationally, the more the wow increases. Why? Because when you first come to God, you come to him because of what he's done and what he can do for you. But you follow him or you serve him because of who he is. In essence, if you don't fear God, it's because you really don't know him. Oh, you say you believe in him. 94% of America says they believe in God. But we don't live life as though he exists because we don't know him. But when you really, truly fear God, two things will happen. When you really, truly fear God, first you'll serve him wholeheartedly without condition. You'll serve him wholeheartedly without any conditions. Common conditions, well, I would serve God, but I have to quit sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I, I would serve God, but I have to quit cussing. I got to clean up my language. I would serve God, but, but I got to quit going to, you know, going to the casino and, and gambling. I would serve God, but I, they're going to ask me to give money. I would serve God, but, 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 but Bill Drescher is going to be after me about being an usher and wearing a little tag before service. I would serve God, but they're going to want me to show up at church regularly. I would serve God. But, and you fill in the blank. Jesus says it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me out of relationship, you will obey what I command. See, this goes against the consumer world mentality that we live in. Uh, God, if you'll fix whatever, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix my marriage, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix my, my finances, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix my life, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix my kids, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix my business, I'll obey you. God, if you'll fix whatever, I'll obey you. Thus, if we don't have any need of anything being fixed, then we don't need God. 
Because if I got money, I don't need God. If I got a good marriage, I don't need God. If my business and my employment's doing well, I don't need God. If my kids are okay, I don't need God. If I don't have kids or a spouse, I don't need God. But if I need something, I'll serve you. That's the world that we live in. The world that we live in basically says, hey, God, if I need you, I'll call you. God, if you can fix something for me, if you can hook me up, then I will look you up. But until I need to be hooked up, I'm not going to look up. And Jesus said it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with relationship. If you love me, you'll obey. But when you really get to know God, when you really, really, really get to know him, he won't fix your life. He'll ruin it. That's the second thing that will happen. You will be ruined forever. You will forever be ruined. When you experience the fear of God in your life, the relationship with God in your life, when you truly know him, he will ruin your life forever. Let me explain this. You will never be the same when you truly know him because everything that you thought was important will no longer be important. And God will give you a whole new mission in life. If you have your Bible, (coughs) excuse me, turn to Isaiah It's going to be like page 747 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. If you need to go to the table of contents, that's cool. But Isaiah, go to Isaiah. Seriously, I want you to look at this. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Because it talks about a man who encountered God, and when he encountered God, God changed him forever. He ruined him forever. Because before this, he believed in God, but didn't fear him. But after this experience, the fear of God is poured into his life. Now, I'm going to read the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just going to read them to you. If you have them, you can follow along, but they're not going to be on the screen, not until we get to verse number 5. But I want you to listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, understand this. King Uzziah dying wasn't, uh, just long and short, wasn't a good, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't like, oh, we have, you know, the wicked witch is dead kind of a deal. It's not like we're all like dancing going, oh, great, King Uzziah, he was so horrible, he's dead. No, 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 no. this is a bad thing because life is fixing to fall apart. Life is about to just be utterly destroyed in Isaiah's world. But in that year of this tragedy, he sees the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's standing at the temple. He's standing at the door. It's kind of like being in the back of this room, standing there in the door. And he looks in, and he begins to see God seated high up on the throne, and God's robe just fills the room. And above him were seraphs, angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost where he was standing and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Look what happens in verse number five. He says this, woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. Everybody say ruined. Come on, one more time. Say ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because I have seen him, I am changed, and I can't go back. See, what what happens is, for, for Isaiah, he begins to see the physical manifest power and presence and glory of God. And he's just telling us his story. But he sees the awesomeness of God. He sees this reverent awe of God. He sees this wonder and this magnificence 
of God. He knows God, but he's about to experience God. He understands God, but he's about to experience him in a whole new dimension. He believes in God, but he is about to fear him. Not because his experience is, is, is scary, not because his, his experience is, is negative, not because God is passing out judgment. No, God is drawing him in. God is, is welcoming him in. He, God is, is letting him see a side of him that is awesome and that's powerful and, and, and that's amazing. Just like that sunset, just like that sunrise, just like that miracle birth of a child, he is seeing something where he is like, wow, woe is me. Man, this great God of the universe is allowing me to have this experience. And in that moment, he goes, I'm not even worthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I live among sinners. I'm not even worthy for this experience. Yet God lets me see this. See, when you experience God like that, it changes you. I'm not talking about showing up at church. I don't care how long you've been saved or how long you've had a relationship with Jesus Christ or how long you've been a member at Life Church or any other church. That's not what this is about. This, 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 this is about when, when, when you experience God, when you see God. Do you know why we have so many empty cathedrals in our city? Because there's no experience in life of God. There's a form of godliness, but there's no power when you walk in. You know the reason why that church is in decline? Because there's no power because there's no power from the pulpit. It's not the people. There's no power here. And, and, and the reality is it's because the people that stand behind the pulpit don't have a personal relationship with God that's contagious enough that when they speak and they open their mouth that people go, wow, that guy's been with Jesus. Isn't that what they said to the disciples? They said, these men, these common men, these fishermen, these carpenters, these people, they have been with Jesus. I'm telling you, some of you have never heard talk like this or preaching like this, and I don't do this all the time, but I'm telling you, for some of you in this room, the reality is, is that you know who God is, and you're okay with God, and you like Life Church because you like the, mu- the, the music and the jam and some of the videos, and I'm kind of funny, ha, 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 sometimes, and all of that kind of stuff, but the real deal that will change your life is not me, it's not a worship set, it's not a room, it's not a video, it's experiencing God personally yourself. When you yourself grow Grab a hold of the threshold of the door, and you see the manifest presence of God in your life. When God shows up in your way in such a way that it's like, wow. And you don't need a church service. You don't need a preacher. You don't need music. You just need to be at a place where you go, God, with a reckless abandon, I live life palms up. And I am not worthy but for some reason, you have called me. For some reason, you have opened this up for me. And I just surrender myself to you. And when that happens, all the things that are quote-unquote important in your life go out the window. When that happens, all the agendas get changed. When that happens, it changes you from the inside out. And what happens is, is that you begin to see God. And you begin to experience God. And the fear of God fills your heart. Not a fear of judgment, not a fear of penalty, not a fear of sin, but this God of the universe is allowing me to experience him in all of his fullness. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because it's okay to sit on a seat, it's okay to show up at a life group, it's okay. But I'm saying there is more to God than just a weekend, hour, 15-minute service. 
And Isaiah responds to this experience in verse 8 and says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. He didn't say, hey, can I check out the retirement plan before I do your deal, God? Hey, God, how's this going to mess up what I have planned? Hey, are you going to send me to a dangerous place? Hey, can I just think about it and process and get back to you and just see if this is going to work for me? No, 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 no. When you experience God, when you experience God, you become ruined because all of a sudden your plans go out the window. All of a sudden your ideas go out the window. All of a sudden what you want to do with your life goes out the window. And everything changes. And you have this reckless abandonment because you don't tell God, hey, God, I'll I'll do what you want me to do if I can just live in my hometown. Hey, God, I'll do what you want me to do if I can just live in this geographical area. Hey, God, I'll do what you want me to do if if it's safe. Hey, God, I'll do what you want me to do if 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 people are okay with it. Hey, God, I'll I'll do what you want me to do if if I can budget it. And you go, that's scary. That's exactly what it is. Listen, that's when people say to me, Christianity is boring and it's for just weak-minded just spineless people that need a crutch to get through life. I go, man, you don't let them serve the same God I do. Because the things that God asked me to do and the situations that I'm in, the places that I have been in my life, and the things that God's put in my heart that he wants to do and wants me to be a part of, wow, it's so much bigger than me. It's so much more bodacious than anything I could ever think or imagine. And I am totally, 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 totally incompetent to do it without him. And the reality is, is that I'm afraid that so many of us have not been ruined because we really don't know him. That's my fear. I mean, I live with a certain amount of... I know that everybody stands before God on their own two feet. And that I, when you stand before God, I won't be there. You'll stand there on your own. Not with a spouse. Not with a, a friend. Not with a pastor. Not with a parent. But you. But I have this, this sense of responsibility in me that I just go, God, help me every single weekend that I open my mouth and that I take your word, that I don't put my opinion, my ideology, and to do anything to manipulate, to maneuver, or to misconstrue anything in your word, but just to preach it straight, here it is. Because here's what I know. I'll stand before him because of what I say to you. I'll be judged as a Christ follower, but I will also be judged as a pastor. And my biggest concern is, do you really know him? Do you really know him? Has he ruined your life yet? You understand what I'm saying? I mean that in the most endearing, positive way possible. Has God come in in such a way where it's not just an event that you do on the weekends, It's not just something that you say because it's polite or it's correct or your parents are going to like it or it's something you're doing for your kids. But do you know him? Have you really experienced him? Have you really just gotten to a place where you've just said palms up with reckless abandonment? God, whatever you want with my life. Really. God, show me. And I'm not talking about weird, freaky-deaky, fruit flakes and nuts kind of stuff. I'm talking about just real deal, God, live in my life in such a way. Because ultimately, we're either doing one of two things. We're either trying to use God to fix our lives, 
consumer Christianity, buffet Christianity. We're either Christian atheists that we say we believe in God, but we just don't fear him. We don't live life though he exists. Or we're ruined because we've encountered him. We've encountered him in such a way that we don't have answers. We've encountered him at such a level that we don't even know how to describe it. We've encountered him in such a way that it's just, and I'm not talking about an emotional experience, but I'm talking about a personal experience with Jesus Christ. I'm not just talking about saying the sinner's prayer, but I'm talking about just finding yourself in a place where you just, man, God has so encountered you and you have so encountered him that you have the fear of God, the awesomeness and the wonder of who he is. That's what I'm talking about. Do you have that? That's my prayer for you over the course of this series. Is that we are not a church of Christian atheists that say we believe one thing but live life as though it doesn't exist. But that we are a body of believers. And even if you're not a Christ follower and you're still kicking tires on this thing called faith in Jesus Christ, this is a great time to be kicking tires because we're going to talk about what it really means to follow Jesus, what it really means to give up of ourselves, what it really means to take up our cross and follow him. And my prayer for you is that today you will say, God, I give you my life to ruin it. God, just like you did Isaiah, I want to see you at work in my life. Because here's the deal. The more you get to know him, the more awesome he becomes. The more you experience him, the more wow there is. This isn't like a drug. This isn't like some experience. This isn't like some worldly pleasure that it just you need to have more and more and more to go to the next level. No, Jesus said of it in John chapter 6 and John chapter 7, I will give you rivers of living water that you will drink of, that you will never thirst again. Only God can do that. I can't do that. A church service can't do that. Life church can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. That's the reason why we don't do what we do because of you or because of me or because of anybody else. We do it as unto the Lord, living life for that audience of one. But my prayer is, is that you will put yourself in a place where you will say, God, ruin my life. God, ruin this. Let me see you in such a way that nothing else can compare, that nothing else can substitute, that nothing else can be that way. You know the reason, one of the reasons why, I mean, like I'm in ministry is because, look, there is, I don't know how else to say this, there is nothing on this planet that is more powerful and more intoxicating and more spellbounding to me than following Jesus Christ. If there was no heaven to gain, I would still live this life. You know why? Because it's the very best way to live in right relationship with man and to live life to the fullest. But the Bible says that this is just a dress rehearsal. And I can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like because I've seen God do some amazing things in my limited lifetime on this planet. And to think that it goes to a multiplied level on the other side, wow. But I'm telling you, here and now, God wants to show up and meet us. And that's my prayer for you today and these next several weeks as we do this series is that we open ourselves up to be ruined by God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I thank you, Lord, today that, that we don't just have to know you cognitively, 
like the world says they know you, but that we can know you and, and live for you and live. And, and your word says, and, and you that we live and that we move and that we have our being, that this isn't just something we do on the weekend. It's not just something we do 10 minutes a day for our quiet time. It's, 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 it controls who and what we are, that it's not a reckless abandonment to a church or to a cause of man, but it's to the cause of Christ. It's, it's to that that only can touch us, that when, that when you, Lord, the creator, touches us, the creation, that changes us irrevocably. And I just pray, Lord, today, this weekend, God, take us on a journey that we experience you for who you are. God, ruin us as a church that we want nothing more and nothing less than you, Lord, and to see you, Lord, glorified and magnified in our lives. Lord, do something in us, Lord, that we just hunger and thirst after righteousness because your word says it's then that we will be filled. I just thank you for your word, how it challenges us, how it cuts us right to the very core. The Bible says that it pierces all the way through the flesh, through the bone, and even to the marrow, to the heart of the situation. I pray God convict us. I pray God challenge us. I pray God comfort us. And I pray God show up in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.